Hi, everybody. My name is Mike Sayers, and I am the senior pastor at SCUM, if only by reason of my advanced age. Um, but I'm not going to be speaking to you tonight from the Word of God. That will be done by a guy named Evan Perkins. Evan is... Uh, can, we, can we turn the heaters off, please, like all of them? I think it would be great. Um, yeah, it's also quieter. Evan Perkins is a guy that I met uh, a few years ago, uh, graduate uh, recently of Denver Seminary back in, in December, and uh, he and Leah Everson have been the people who have done the Scum Study Center. Uh, if you've taken our classes that we offer, we offer three classes. We offer a theology class where you kind of go through the basic doctrines of the faith in rapid form. We offer a uh, Bible overview class, so it does what it says it does. And then um, the third class that we offer, these are all kind of core curriculum classes here at SCUM, is one on spiritual disciplines. And Evan and Leah have been faithful not only to teach that, but to refine the curriculum. And uh, we have uh, probably more classes coming up here yeah, very shortly in the spring, um, so you'll make sure to to listen for those if you haven't taken those. It's kind of for me. It's kind of like a scum, almost a requirement. If scum is your 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 church home, then we kind of like you to take them. They're core classes, and then you know you're you're free. You're done. You graduated. We have a little graduation ceremony and everything. Uh, but uh, I chose Evan because I think he's a man who holds the Word of God very highly. Uh, I like the way his mind works. If you uh, remember his uh, story from Story Night, you'll remember him as the young man who figured he could make it rich by printing his own money when he was in high school. Um, And that worked for a while. (laughs) And then it didn't. Anyway, without further ado, here's my friend and yours, Evan Perkins. Using this wired mic because every time the wireless one makes those awful sounds, I pee myself a little. So, <laughs> if you don't know what I'm talking about, you haven't been here in a, in a couple of weeks. Um, okay, so we're preaching uh, through, going through the book of Philippians, uh, continuing to talk about uh, living in the midst of difficult situations. And uh, today we're focusing more on joy and having joy in the midst of adversity. Uh, so it's something I think we all, uh, adversity at least, we're all familiar with. I remember a time where, um, this is way back, uh, faced adversity and the idea of rejoicing or having joy in it, not even, it just nowhere in the mind, did not enter my mind. Um, in fact, the only thing that I had on my mind was retaliation. Um, so the story goes, I was in Cub Scouts. Uh, this is a while back. I was in Cub Scouts. If you don't know what Cub Scouts are, it's like Boy Scouts, but you're little. And so I had a Cub Scout uniform. Looked a little something like that. Yeah. Mm, makes you want to dance. Yeah. So at my, at my elementary school, we had a, uh, like a wear your 
uniform to school day. Um, I don't know if we did it all the time, but so I decided I'm going to do it this one time. Uh, and I got through the whole day and walking home from school, I lived in the neighborhood where I lived, or sorry, where I went to school. So I'm walking home and I, I hear behind me some sort of snickering. Uh, and, and somebody, there's a couple girls, and one of them it first made a comment like, uh, you know, hey, nice uniform or something like that. And in my naivete, I thought, oh, yeah, you know, it is kind of good looking. Thanks. Got my, my kerchief, you know. And, uh, but it, it started to escalate, and eventually it, it got to this. Uh, they, they shouted something like, uh, you know, no, we don't want any cookies. Ha, 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 you know, and laugh like I was a Girl Scout. And, and so they, there were two of them. They were older than me. They were in about fourth grade. I was in second grade, so I thought, I know what to do. So I went home and I told my older sister what happened. And I said, you got you to gotta do something because I knew it would be good. So uh, sure enough, the next day, leave school, walk around the corner. The girls had gone on ahead of me. I made sure to wait. Um, so they went around the corner. I came around and my sister is standing there. Uh, she had recruited two guys. And, and what I didn't say is that she was in high school. So we, so you have three high schoolers like raining down obscenities on these elementary school girls because that's how I rolled. So not going to take garbage from nobody. So, you know, kind of a light, kind of a light example, but, um, a lot of us deal with adversity. Uh, we have from a young age, we're a church full of nerds. So, uh, this is just kind of part of life and we struggle often to find joy in the midst of all these types of situations. So our passage tonight is uh, Philippians 1, 15 through 18, and we continue um, with Paul and his adventures in prison. Paul discusses some adversity that he's facing, some things that he's going through, uh, and then at the end he says, but I rejoice because the gospel is advancing. And so the question that we're going to try and dig into a little bit is how? How come? Uh, How can Paul rejoice in this type of situation? When really, uh, you know, he, he probably had every right, especially in this particular time, to say, I don't deserve this, uh, don't do this. How did he rejoice? So that's the question. Can we rejoice in difficulty? So I'm going to pray. We'll get started. Lord, we, uh, we love you. We thank you for this time and the opportunity to get together. Um, I pray, God, just for this time as we open your word that you would um, just give me a clear mind and protect my mouth from saying anything detrimental to you uh, or foolish. And just open our hearts and be with us. We love you. Amen. So if you're here last week, you, you know the situation. Um, Mike preached on verses 12 through 14, but I'll recap relatively quickly. Paul wrote this letter to a church in Philippi. Uh, he was in prison at the time. And uh, in, in verse 12, he says, whatever happened, what has happened to me has served to advance the gospel. And then he gives us two reasons uh, for that. Number one, he says the imperial guard has come to learn about Jesus. So that's a bonus. And the second reason, he says people have become more bold to preach the gospel. Uh, people have become more bold to preach. And in verse 15, starting in 15, he starts to kind of reveal to us a little bit more about what's happening um, And he gives us more information about that second thing, about these people becoming more bold to preach. So I'll pick it up in 15. This is an NIV translation. Thanks, Blomberg. Appreciate it. 
It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while, while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that, from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. So we've got these two groups. Um, we'll call them the good guy group and the bad guy group. Um, the good guys preaching out of love, uh, the bad guys out of envy and rivalry and selfish ambition. Uh, we, we really don't know why they're doing this, um, why they're trying to stick it to Paul, but they are. It's probably some kind of personal reason. You know, this thought of, you know, with Paul in prison, it's our turn to shine. You know, the, the understudy always wants Annie to fall down the stairs or something so she can take the spotlight. Nobody on that, really? That's how Sarah Jessica Parker got famous. <laughs> Don't know why I know that at all. That's... Somebody else told me that. <laughs> so anyway, adversity, Paul's, you know, people are kicking him while he's down, while he's in prison, and he says, but I rejoice because the gospel is being advanced. Seems like an odd response given the situation. Um, so real quick, before we get into to how does Ponderous Paul, Paul respond this way, there's just a couple of things that we need to deal with. I think a couple of things that might be confusing to some of us. Uh, so from the outset, we're going to deal with those. Uh, the first thing, I think one of the potentially confusing questions Paul might or you might ask is, why is Paul so, why is Paul so lax about this situation? If you know anything about Paul... You know, Paul is a serious dude. He's like super hysterical, you know, kind of like a, well, never mind. Um, he's just a serious guy, right? And if you read any of his other stuff, like the book of Galatians, for example, um, he talks about some, some uh, teachers there in Galatians 1, and he says that he hopes they're accursed. And the word means cut off from God with no hope for redemption ever. And then in this situation, you know, we're going, what's the deal, Paul? You seem so chill about this. You know, did, did he just have like a root beer float before he sat down to write this? So he's <laughs> in a good mood. Um, he doesn't freak out, and I think it's confusing to some of us. At least it was to me when I first started reading it. So uh, the, the answer to, to why this is different is right there in verse 15. He says, it is true that some preach Christ. Some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry. Others preach Christ out of goodwill. So Paul doesn't go nuts here because the content of the message is accurate, right? And that's the difference that we find in some of Paul's other writings. In Galatians, for example, um, it's a group of people called the Judaizers. They were telling um, the folks in Galatia that you, uh, you know, you have to get circumcised. You have to follow the entire Jewish law if you want to be in a relationship with God. Um, so Paul goes nuts on them. Appropriately enough, it's a false gospel. These people are preaching truth. So I just don't want you to think, you know, I don't want you to get confused by that. I thought it was confusing. Um, the second thing is Paul never condones or approves of the wicked motives uh, with which these people are preaching. Um, he lists, in fact, he lists envy and rivalry in, uh, among this list of things that, that you find in people who won't inherit the kingdom of God. So he knows that this is wrong. It's just not his focus here. Just wanted to clear those two things up. Maybe you don't care at all, but... I thought it was confusing. So uh, if the content of the teachers or the motives of the teachers weren't Paul's main concern, you know, you got to ask, what is? And I think Paul 
you know, if, if we read this and we read it in its context, I think he wants us to focus not on the situation so much because he doesn't give us a lot of information, but he wants to focus on something about his response for the situation. I think Paul really is drawing us to focus on his perspective. So you got Paul, he's locked up. Um, two groups, one preaching out of love, the other preaching out of envy and rivalry, and they're really trying to stick it to Paul. And despite all of it, in verse 18, he says, what of it? Christ is being preached. Do you think you'd be able to respond that way in a similar situation? I think the passage gives us a couple of things that might help us get to that place. Only two points. So the first thing we need to recognize is that we all have a perspective on life. And that's the first point. How you see affects how you act. I originally worded this as each one of us has a perspective on life that directly affects what we value and how you respond to life. And then Mike Sayers was like, don't do that. Nobody's got to remember that. So how we see affects how we act. Um, our perspective is you know, just our point of view. It's the lens through which we see the world. If you put on a pair of glasses, you know, everything you see is going to come through those. It's going to affect the way that you see. Do you remember... Um, do you remember drunk goggles in high school? Health class, yeah, yeah. They put, nope, yeah. So you put these giant goggles on, and it's supposed to simulate like you're drunk. Um, it really just looks like you're underwater. So I don't know how I don't know how drunk you'd have to be to, I guess, drunk enough just to fall into a pool. But <laughs> maybe not that drunk. But uh, so anyway, you put, you put the goggles on, and they, they completely change the way that you see everything. That's our perspective. Okay, We all have one of these. It's, it's just true of us as human beings. Um, we're always trying to interpret things and make sense of things. And so uh, I think, okay, yeah, here's, there's a guy named Paul David Tripp. Um, he's a, an author, Christian speaker, writer guy, and he puts this very interestingly. He says, people don't live life based on the facts of their existence. They live life based on their interpretation of those facts. Does that make sense? Right? So people live life not based on what happens, but based on how they interpret what happens, based on how they see what happens. And given that, you know, two people can respond to the exact same situation in totally different ways. For example, if, if I... If, so I'm married. Let's say my wife... Oddly enough, has a this perspective of me that you know she can trust me, that I'm you know kind of a stand-up guy, that uh, I'm nice to her. Then, then when I bring flowers home, out of nowhere, she's going to think what? She's going to think, oh yeah, sweet, you know, you're thinking of me. This is real nice. But if my wife has this perspective of me that thinks you know this guy's freaking dirt, he can't be trusted, he's always messing up, he's always sneaking around, then when I bring flowers home, what's the response going to be? What did you do? What did you do this time? Same situation. Uh, or, or let's say you think music should be um, loud and fast and involve a lot of scary screaming. Then when, <laughs> when Taylor Swift comes on the radio, you know, you're probably going to think, well, this is not good music. And you're not going to buy tickets to her show or her greeting cards, maybe. I don't know. She has greeting cards now, apparently. But if you like music that's soft and pretty and somewhat repetitive and simple, <laughs> then when, you know, Cannibal Corpse comes on, 
whatever station Cannibal Corpse comes on. You're not going <laughs> to... I had to ask Adam Skinner for a death metal band. So. See, different perspectives, right? How we see affects how we act. So I think the first step to discovering how Paul uh, was able to rejoice is to just realize this fact about human existence. You can see different perspectives in the passage. You know, you've got the group uh, preaching out of love. They they perceive Paul to be there uh, as a part of God's plan. The group preaching out of um, envy and rivalry. You know, they're, they're thinking, this is this is my opportunity to shine when I'm going to kick Paul when he's down. And, of course, we've got Paul's perspective, which is the one we're focusing on. So you need to think about it. How do you view life? Uh, you know, maybe maybe you've got a perspective that views um, comfort as really important. So you make decisions based on how much comfort they bring. Uh, maybe you don't engage in friendships unless they're easy. Uh, you know, you, you react really negatively to challenging situations. Maybe you've got a perspective that values uh, appearance or that thinks, you know, everything's about appearance. And so uh, you, you start to really value the way you look, the way other people's look, other people look. Um, you know, maybe you, you start responding very positively when people uh, compliment your looks and you respond very negatively when they don't compliment your looks or don't say anything about them. I've shared, you know, my story before. Acceptance was a huge thing for me, still is, still something I struggle with. This, you know, idea that, you know, I kind of see the world as people's acceptance of me is the most important thing. And so uh, I was super bad, like junior high, high school, um, you know, just drove everything that I did and every conversation that I had and um, every response people gave me, I would evaluate. And uh, I just became very manipulative and couldn't be authentic with anybody and I would I would respond, you know, really violently sometimes if if my acceptability was brought into question. It was the perspective that I had on life. Junior high football was just terrible every day. No good at sports, so every day was just this. You stink, man. It was a bad time. Junior high is probably a bad time for a lot of us. So the question isn't, do you have a perspective? It's what perspective do you have? You got to ask the question. You know what is that, or at least which one is dominating your life right now? Because there's something there. In our passage, the Apostle Paul had an outlook that allowed him to rejoice in a very difficult situation. So, what's the difference with him? That's the question. That leads to the second point: how you see must be temporal. Sorry, how you see must be eternal and not temporal. How you see must be eternal and not temporal. So I think if, if we ever want to find joy in the midst of adversity or any difficulty, really, uh, our perspective on life has got to be primarily eternal and not temporal. That is, um, not earthly, focused on temporary earthly things. I think many of us, honestly, I'd argue a lot of us can't handle adversity or rejection or even situations where we don't get our preferences because... We're stuck with you know, this very small, this very temporal perspective on life. So what's wrong with this? Um, in short, it's just it's way too small a view of the world. It's way too small a view of life and the purpose for life. It's like wearing the wrong prescription. 
And I'll be honest, and I'm talking to myself here uh, just as much as I am to you guys. Most of the time, I think our world is way too small. Uh, Our perspective is off because we've placed ourselves at the center of the universe. Uh, In our own lives, we view ourselves as the point of the universe, just smack in the middle of it. I think we fail to see and interpret uh, life correctly because we've made ourselves and our own immediate happiness or satisfaction the absolutely most important thing. And so because of that, you know, we just so often we're just utterly unable to respond to adversity uh, in any way that even smacks of any kind of joy uh, or rejoicing. Because adversity challenges what? Challenges what we value most, which is ourselves a lot of the time. So we can't stand or or tolerate anything that gets in our way, uh, even if it's bringing something good. Mike's got a really good example of this in his book. If you read it in Pure Scum, uh, it's on page 58. You can go right to it. Uh, it's called Fight Night is, is how it's been deemed uh, at Scum. It happened in the early days. I wasn't around. I didn't get to see the glory of Fight Night. But the situation was you had a goth uh, and a punk, a guy who affiliated with the goth subculture, a guy who affiliated with the punk subculture. They were both doing ministry in the Capitol Hill neighborhood, both uh, evangelists. So they'd preach, talk about Jesus. They loved Jesus. They loved doing uh, ministry in Capitol Hill. And they were both doing it in the same neighborhood. So eventually, you know, there started to be some kind of conflict. I think people felt like their toes were getting stepped on. And this eventually escalates and bubbles over in a meal here one night where one of the guys just yanks the other one out of his chair and they just start going at it and fighting. And uh, a visiting, some, some visiting pastor broke it up and um, they scattered and ran and Mike ran after them and eventually got them you know, all together, and uh, it, it ended well. But you got to diagnose that problem there. They're both doing good things. Totally wrong focus, you know? At least temporarily. It was a completely uh, temporal perspective, right? God is working. Um, great things are happening through their ministries, but they were focused on just the entire, entirely the wrong thing. Right? They were focused on their own satisfaction uh, that they got from doing ministry, they were focused on, um, you know, I don't know, looking like the better evangelist. I don't know what it was, but totally wrong perspective. So this view of life, um, temporal view of life, way too small. And we've got to look at things differently. So what does an eternal perspective look like? It's kind of the, the next obvious question. Verse 18. So Paul's in the middle of this adversity, and he says what? He says, but what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. So I think the thing to realize is an eternal perspective, um, above all, it just recognizes what God is doing in the world. I think a failure to recognize that God is working and that God is moving in the world is why so many of us default to this temporal kind of, you know, wrong perspective, this short-sighted perspective. So what is God doing? Um, Good thing to answer, good thing to have a simple answer for. It's not super complicated. It is, I guess, but we can put it fairly simply. Uh, Scripture lays it out pretty clear. Ephesians 1.10, we're told 
We're told what? We're told that uh, God's plan for all time is to unite all things in Christ. So in other words, God is uh, bringing all things to completion, all things to perfection in the person of Christ. Uh, We're told in Romans 8 that because of the fall, creation uh, groans. Creation groans. says even the trees groan awaiting redemption. So creation is broken. It does not work like it ought to work. Uh, It doesn't operate like it should. It can't uh, work as effectively. That's you, me, the trees, all of creation. So it tells us that God is at work restoring everything, bringing everything to the place that it should be. The best, I think, the best summary that I've heard of this, and I kind of hinted at it last week in the benediction, not knowing then that I was hinting at it, um, the best summary of what God is doing is this. God is at work bringing good to the world. Just very concise, very sweet. God is at work bringing good to the world. The world is fallen, and there's sickness, and there's pain, and there's adversity, and there's death, and grief, and God is at work putting all of that to an end. So much better than our lousy little self-centered views. So much better. This is a total side note. I might be throwing you off track. I hope I'm not. I think an obvious question, you say God is at work bringing good to the world, and an obvious question is, well, why hasn't he done it yet? You know, what's God waiting for? And I mean, that question just, it can still eat at me, um, especially if we're in times of, you know, going through tragedy. But uh, what is God doing? Second Peter 3, 9. See, might have it written down somewhere here. Second Peter three nine. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So God is at work bringing good to the world, and you ask, I think, a valid question: What's what's the problem? Why has this happened already? You read a verse like Second Peter three nine, and it makes sense of it. You know, God wants your family. God wants your friends. God wants your coworkers. He wants your neighbors. And so, any waiting, any time that it, it, this this groaning that we that that we experience and the waiting that we're longing for, God is not slow. Is some count slowness? You know, we don't have the answer, but we know that he waits because he loves us and he wants us to come uh, to know him, to experience restoration starting now. God is at work bringing good to the world. So what's so different about Paul? I think he saw, uh, he saw everything through this lens. Of God bringing good where good was needed. You know, he's able to recognize clearly his own reputation, his own comfort, his own situation, not the most important thing in the universe. That even though everything wasn't going his way, he could rejoice because he knows a greater story is being told. And Paul, you know, he's not happy. 
He's he knows the situation stinks. He's not wearing the rose-colored glasses, or however you put it. So I'm not, you know, I, I just, I don't know. I don't want you to think, I'm not telling you to ignore or, or uh, just deny the realities of your life. I know that we go through adversity, and Christianity doesn't ever ask you to ignore the realities of life. And God is at work bringing good. Um, he can do that in any situation. I think Christianity does ask us, though, to view the world through this lens, this eternal perspective. I think we have a, you know, we have a problem with this. Uh, honestly, I think we have a problem living out this truth. Even, you know, we, we fail to rejoice, I think, in so many situations where we ought to, even not even adversity per se, not even when we're facing adversity, but just when stuff doesn't go our way or we don't get our preferences or something's not meeting our expectations. Um, you know, one example, something I hear a lot uh, around here is, you know, about megachurches. And we just, we, you know, it, we do stuff cool at Scum. We really do. We eat every week, um, which is a freaking miracle in itself. Uh, it's so awesome. And it's authentic and, you know, people seem real here. But, you know, I just see, I hear so much dogging on megachurches that, you know, oh, well, you know, the, the music is cheesy or they use the phrase praise band, you know. And fog machines are a waste of money. And, but in so many of these places, you know, the Lord is moving and working. And we completely fail to rejoice. We fail to support our brothers and sisters just because it's, you know, they're not meeting our expectations or living up to what we think they ought to be living up to. Uh, maybe it's a denomination. You know, you had a bad experience at a Pentecostal church or something. Everybody's dancing around. People are on the floor or something. I don't know. Uh, so you think, I'm, I'd never go to a place like that. You know, this is it's creepy. It's weird. I don't want to do it. Uh, I used to be, I don't know, pretty pretty hardcore against Baptists in a way. I just, you know, they were not putting the fun and fundamental, in my opinion, <laughs> at all. Uh, you know, I don't drink and I don't dance. And I think, well, I, I do some of that, so what does that make me? And, you know, honestly, because they didn't fit into this small view that I had, I just completely rejected the idea that God could work at all through what they're doing. I didn't support them, much less rejoice. And if you, you know, if if you think about it in a way, um, at that point I became the rival. I brought the adversity. Maybe you're an artist or a musician. You think, um, you know, maybe you do it for ministry, maybe not. Uh, but how do you view somebody who is whose art is selling, you know, better than yours? Who whose band gets asked to play more shows than yours? Can you rejoice at all in somebody else's success? Or what if they rub it in your face? You know, could you rejoice thinking that well, maybe God is working and using that situation for his glory? 
If you can't, I think I think there's a problem. An, an eternal perspective means for us, it, it means freedom. You know, it's this freedom to experience joy even when everything's not going our way, even when our preferences aren't all met, even when we face adversity. And suddenly this tremendous potential kind of opens up to us, you know. It's, it's very freeing to realize that we shouldn't judge or value everything based on, you know, the weight of our happiness. Shouldn't value everything against the weight of our own happiness. And so if, you know, I'll just say if there are areas in your life you can't find joy, even when you know that the gospel has a chance of advancing, then you need to change. You can't rejoice or find joy unless you're the one coming out ahead, unless you're the one whose music is doing better, whose art is selling faster, whose ministry looks more successful. Then I think you need to change. I can uh, remember in seminary, about two years into seminary, you start preaching class. It is awful. Because you've got like a room of like 30 people, most of whom have not preached before, right? And so uh, I was in that boat, never even thought about preaching, never trying to preach. And so I get up. I can remember the day. It's my turn to preach. You, you do it in like, you know, there will be three or four people per class. So I get up and I preach. Uh, and so I pray first, you know, and I some good prayer about, you know, the weight of the sermon. And, um, and I preach the sermon. And I sit down and my professor, the guy who was in the room. They call it the preaching coach. It's like, you know, a few seconds of silence. And he says, the best part of your preaching was the prayer. (laughs) So basically the best part of your preaching is when you weren't preaching. (laughs) Um, So then what happens? A friend of mine gets up. A guy that had, he'd done youth ministry for a long time in college, youth minister. He was in, you know, his high school group and he preaches and basically like brings the preaching coach guy to tears. You know, he like the slow clap starts going when he's <laughs> preaching coach is freaking out. And I can remember, I can remember leaving the room. This is a friend of mine, left the room. I went to Whole Foods. I don't know why I went to Whole Foods and got a pizza. <laughs> I must have found like, somewhere. (laughs) Pizza at Whole Foods. Yeah. But I went, totally taken the spunk out of that story. But I went, I went home. My wife wasn't home. Lauren wasn't home at the time. And I remember just sitting there by myself, eating this pizza and just welling up with resentment and jealousy and envy. And at some point it just kind of sinks in. I'm, I'm thinking, what am I doing? Like, this this is a friend of mine. He's preaching about Jesus. He's he's actually preaching, just like in here. He's preaching. He's talking about Christ. And I'm getting jealous and angry and resentful. I'm not joyous at all. No rejoicing. Something was messed up. Something was really messed up. There was change that needed to happen. And, you know, studying through this text and thinking about this sermon, thinking back to that, completely wrong perspective. Not an eternal perspective at all. 
totally raw. So I don't know uh, what it is in your life where you don't have an eternal perspective. I don't know where it is that you can't find joy in a situation that you know God might be working in. I don't know where you're, uh, where you're envious or jealous, where you've turned into the rival and you're causing adversity, acting from wrong motives. Chances are uh, there's some area of your life that needs to change. There's some space where you need to change. So how do we change then? That's kind of the remaining question. The answer's really simple. Uh, it's not easy, though. It's kind of like golf. You know, you take this stick and this ball and just hit it into the hole. It's not complicated, but it's not easy if you've tried it. So how do you have, how do you adopt uh, an eternal perspective? How do you shift and uh, here's the hard part. You can't do it on your own. You can't do it on your own. See, one one option for me as somebody preaching is to, uh, and I'm from Texas, you hear a lot of this, is for me to end and just say, go try harder to have an eternal perspective. You know, Or maybe be like Paul. What a great example. He did murder people, by the way. So Paul is not, Bible doesn't work that way. <laughs> So I can say, go try harder, but I can't do that. I know that I can't do that. I can't be faithful to God's word and do that. So, you know, really, you've got one option. If you are a Christian, you know that God has come in Christ. God has sent his son, and he has taken away your sin, and he has restored you into a right, a right relationship with him, and he's given you the Holy Spirit to empower you. God, here's a trick, God never, ever, anywhere in Scripture does God ask us to do something that he does not then empower us to do. It's a general rule about Christianity. So if you leave scum, you're looking for another church, that's just a good metric. So you can't do it. God doesn't call you to do things that he doesn't empower you to do. So that's the trick. You've got to ask for it. Scripture all over the place is, you know, ask and it will be given to you. Knock and the door will be opened. You don't have because you don't ask God. That's how we, that's how we shift. That's how we have an eternal perspective. That's how we can start viewing the world through the right lens. You've got to ask God. You've got to repent of temporal, you know, self-focused, selfish, little tiny views of the world. Um, we're going to have prayer like we do sometimes in this room right next to me. Um, if there's something stirring around in you right now, that is God's grace in your life um, working and moving, and so don't ignore that. Go uh, seek out prayer, get prayer, pray with somebody, have somebody pray for you. Pray with a neighbor, I don't know. Um, so that's the answer. It's not, again, not simple. It is simple, it's not easy. You gotta ask.
this, the shifting of perspective. It's God's work in your life. It's way too much for you to do on your own, but it's not too much for him. So ask, ask God to work in your heart. And when you do, I think you'll find uh, the tremendous freedom to rejoice. Pray with me. Lord, we uh, come to you redeemed and a mess. And we thank you for the work you've done in our lives. We thank you for what you're doing now. And God, I pray that um, just the truth of your word, however much I might have butchered it or been not clear, God, that you would um, just work in our hearts And I pray for blessings for us, uh, for those of us that that ask for a different perspective, God. Bless that and encourage that and help us to know that you're moving and working. We love you. It's in Christ's name. Amen.